Hello and welcome everybody. This is Abdullah, co-founder of Silverline Community and your host to the Mean Who podcast, the show that sheds light on the movers, shakers, and shapers of the creative and cultural industries. Today, we are honored to kick off our theme on experimentation with one whom I personally consider to be one of the world's leading aesthetes, Nada Dips. Nada is a Lebanese designer living and working in Beirut. Her work spans scale and discipline, from product and furniture design to one of commissions across craft, art, fashion, and interiors. What ties her work together is her ability to distill culture and craftsmanship to create pieces of emotional resonance. In essence, she captures the power of the human hand to tell stories that touch the heart. She calls her approach handmade and heartmade. Nada, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh, <laughs> I'm to be here. I mean, we don't have to introduce you, but do you mind sharing a bit about your background with our uh, viewers? So I'm a furniture designer, basically. And I moved to Beirut 22 years ago. I grew up in Japan and I lived in America. I studied at the Rhode Island School of Design and I worked in the UK before I moved to Lebanon 22 years ago. In a way, my work is actually a reflection of the four continents that I grew up in between Japan, uh, USA, UK, uh, Europe and uh, the Middle East. How would you describe your process of experimentation? Okay, so what I found when I came to the Middle East is that people have not really explored craft of the region. So in a way, there was a sense of shame in the idea of local craft. So by the time when I was here and I was looking at what's, uh, uh, what, is, uh, what are the craft techniques that have been used, because when I was in London, I was very uh, exposed to very interesting craft. Turned out that craft had reached from making beautiful pieces for the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire down to uh, a cheap tourist product on the streets of the souks. And so for me, it was about elevating craft and incorporating design in craft and then elevating it so that we can actually feel proud of what we have and what we make. When, when you're talking about craft and how in the Middle East uh, and the, the Arab region, uh, there hasn't been a lot of exploration in it, but now you spend more time in the UAE. So, and I've lived and I was born and raised in the UAE and there is a big push in celebrating culture through handcraft specifically. So yes. what's your view on mm -hmm. this? Today, I think that, you know, I it's funny to say that I always say, uh, I'm aiming to be Hermes of the Middle East. And this is about really valuing nature of craft because it reflects our identity and our heritage. And it's really about preserving, preserving that and, and taking it to the next level. Because the new generation, if we lose this, I think the new generation will have nothing that represents them in a way. And anything made by hand, it really has, by a human being, has value. And this is the basic core. I mean, I feel that, you know, we're craft custodians. We're here to preserve craft and heritage and take it to the next level. 
So do you believe in the process of experimentation, anything by hand is extremely necessary and not the sole um, dependence on technology per se? I think we can't deny technology mm. and it's an interesting outlook. When we hear technology, we hear, uh, when we see the technology, we see how easy things can be made. But really at the core of everything, as human beings, we need to touch and feel. And, you know, I think COVID was a very good example of how much people were depressed because there was that human contact was missing. And I think that the human element must continue. Even when we do our craft, some of the things are made by machine, of course. It simplifies things. But where we put our energy and love is where our hands are. I always use the example of cooking because when you're cooking for someone you love, the food is so good and there's no way you can explain it except when you're putting your whole energy and attention. And this energy is what people feel when they're eating. And in a way, with crafted products, you're drawn to it naturally. You know, when something is made by hand, straw, for example, now these cane chairs, you know, you're drawn to it because it's so natural and it's, uh, it comes from the earth and it's woven by hand. And so I think that we just really subconsciously feel the energy of that craftsman, of the love of that craftsman. It's a beautiful comparison you did with cooking because usually in our culture, when we eat something that's delicious, we say the soul of the person was in the food. And it's a yeah. beautiful comparison to say that the soul of the craftsperson is in this piece that you have. If you continue on the element of uh, technology, how do you believe, how do you see a traditional craftsmanship adapting to our changing times of how we create and consume? I, I would just work around it, you know, mm. like the technology is going to be there. It's simplified, for example, doing drawings, you know, mm. having drawings done, because then, you know, we can see how our products will appear. When we sometimes do very intricate carving, we actually draw it on the computer and then we print it out and then we apply that printout on the wood, let's say, and then the craftsman starts carving around. So there are, we work around technology, but at the very core, that human element has to be there. So it's, when we go back to cooking, it's like someone prepares everything for you, but the person who's actually stirring, you know, with the spoon, that's the energy that's being devoted into that food. You know, that's one aspect of uh, technology. If you talk today about, NFTs and metaverses, which is like what's been talked about a lot. And people have been asking me, are you going to make an NFT? To me, why not? But what I would like to get out of this NFT is actually, or the metaverse, is whatever feeling I'm looking for when I see a piece of craft or when I'm drawn to craft or what the hand you know, is creating, that same emotional attachment to the pieces I would like to recreate in the metaverse, let's say. I think a way of doing it is a very interesting approach is, for example, the repetitive geometry that we use in our part of the world. So let's say it's not crafted, but when you see a repetition of something, we're drawn to it as well. So there is something to that, and that could replicate craft in a way. 
a repetition of something, repetition of geometry. When you think about it, the Islamic aesthetics is all about repetitive geometry. And that's because they, they didn't want an image of, of anybody, any face. And so they needed some abstract form where they can feel this sense of elation to beauty, to God, the sense of infinity. And so they used geometry and a repetitive geometry in order to uh, reach that. And actually, we do feel it when we see something that's repetitive. Uh, you know, there's no beginning, there's no end. And we feel like we're floating. And uh, we have that same thing when you look at the sea. And when you look at the sea, it's almost like, you know, or the waves, the ripples of the waves. It is almost like a geometry. And there's no beginning and there's no end. And it soothes us. I think that if you can replicate that in the metaverse or an NFT, then maybe we might be able to get the same feeling. Maybe your title in the NFT should be Divine Geometry. You've worked with a lot of craftspeople from different generations and across the world. How do you perceive uh, the older generation of craftspeople and their relationship with technology? So the older people really are not, like, they don't get it at all. Mm. You know, mm. maybe their, their children might try to introduce technology. So it's very, very funny that most of the craftsmen I know, their children study computer design, which is like exactly the opposite of what they are doing, that their parents are doing. When they see like uh, what we're doing, coming up with contemporary designs, this young generation is starting to see their parents' craft, their father's craft in a different light, because now they're seeing that it's trendy, it's cooler, you know, so they're coming around. But I think the older generation, they don't get it. They don't understand the technology. Some are open, but then there are some that actually use technology to cheat. You know, like they, they're like, oh, now we don't have to like carve so much. We can use a CNC machine. So I come around and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm worse than the older generation. I'm the one who's telling them, no, 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 no machines, please. We want to feel you. We want to feel your soul and your energy. Then they like it when I tell them that. <laughs> okay. Because that's that's their core, yeah. And, and in your opinion, because you mentioned cheating, what do you think are the main challenges <laughs> facing, uh, facing designers when it comes to protecting their intellectual properties? And I'm sure you probably must have run into some problems with this. When I first started, it was kind of, revolutionary, taking traditional craft and putting it in a much more contemporary um, sense. So it took a life of its own. A lot of people started to imitate uh, <laughs> what I do. It kind of I created a ripple effect among the craftsmen. So it wasn't just my craftsmen, but you have craftsmen in, in Syria, in, uh, in Egypt, who were doing this kind of, oh, like someone gave them that permission that it's okay, you can actually experiment with something new, new patterns, new, new ways of making. It never occurred to them because, you know, they're in it. For me, at the beginning, I was a bit offended when people started to imitate. But then I thought, for the better good, actually, we are actually changing our sense of identity. And this is a tool that I've given. Yes, you are allowed. It's okay. Kind of, I kind of felt like I gave permission. Like, you know, someone did it. 
So it opened the door for all these other people. Hello, the way I now protect myself is that I create things that are really difficult to do. And I challenge my craftsmen. And, you know, really, no one wants to bother to do these things. They'd rather just stick to the simple stuff. <laughs> so now my newer pieces over time has developed into products that are harder to do and need a lot of patience to explain and uh, a lot of prototyping and a lot of experimentation. And so that is my way of pushing craft with these craftsmen and also avoiding too much imitation. I mean, I can't stop people from doing contemporary. That's my whole line is to support the craft industry. So I can't stop them. The opposite, you know, I want to encourage them. Have you have you have you ever faced any backlash from trying to break the boundaries of the divine geometry? Because as you said, a lot of these craftspeople have always thought we need to be within our borders. So have you ever faced a backlash? Only time I faced a backlash is that I got a traditional carpet, you know, typical Persian carpet, and I cut it. <laughs> I cut the carpet. <laughs> and I created a like a circular shape or oval shape like I wanted it to look like pebbles but it was all the Persian carpet and I remember I had it hung on my wall as a as a tapestry and someone walked in and they're like you know like they they thought that I was like completely destroying something sacred I really felt guilty actually after that <laughs> I felt like what did I do I must have uh, done something horrendous but then at the end, uh, I understood that they were just, they couldn't help but see it as like, let's say, a prayer rug, you know, for God. The carpets are made for to pray on. And so they saw it as me, as someone like betraying that uh, prayer to their God. But at the end, it is really uh, human beings who are weaving. And uh, for me, it was just, uh, the reason I did it is because I wanted people to notice that carpet again, because we take it so much for granted. And carpet making is such a beautiful, beautiful craft. And, you know, uh, people just take it for granted. We we throw them away. We, we get rid of them. But if you really see how they do, not after not after not, and the time it takes. So when you actually shape it in a different way, you create a shock factor, and then people start noticing the value of it. That's kind of the reason I do it. <laughs> well, I guess mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished, yeah. I'll leave you with this last thought. Um, what's the most common misconception about design and craftsmanship that you would like to correct? I think that craft is often seen as negative or cheap, inexpensive, like I said earlier, a tourist object. But I think today craft should be a, a much more elevated art. And when you think of France, they call it um, des arts décoratifs. So it's decorative art. It is considered art. And I feel that today we have to give value to craft and understand that craft is, a, is like an elevated form of art. When you look at Japan, you have these master craftsmen. They value them so much. They wait, they, they worry about that last person who makes that special basket because that, that is like 
it would be a lost art. And so here, I think, you know, my, you know, our job is to, to keep that craft going so that we don't lose that, that beauty of working with the hands, the meditative spiritual aspect of it. So that is like extremely important. I think it's something very sacred that we should not uh, uh, forget. And there's a term I created so that it becomes very um, accessible to people. I actually registered it in a in one of the digital uh, dictionaries, <laughs> uh, and the word is craft cool. So it was really like I was trying to say that craft is cool, and so I thought, what a, a short way of saying it would be craft cool, just to make craft something like really cool. And when you think about it now, they make crafted beer, crafted. You know, they use that word craft. It's a bit overused, but it's kind of reflecting that value for the human being. Well, we'll make sure to mention this when we publish the podcast so that we can make it viral. Yeah. With your that permission. Would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, sure. I promise you that was the last question, but now I'm curious to know what is the <laughs> what's the craft that's closest to your heart? I love anything with wood. There's something, it feels so live for me. And uh, there's this craft of marketry that is usually on backgammon games. And we, we really take it for granted, but it entails so much work. And for me, like when something is, has, takes so much time and then at the end looks really beautiful when, they, when it's laid out, it's something that I'm really drawn to. So this is today um, a craft that I'm really... Uh, appreciating working on. We're trying to come up with different ways of, of using this, uh, this marketry uh, craft. Beautiful. Nada Anjad, thank you so much for your time. 